0: And welcome to the Americana Station podcast I am your host, Will Payne Harrison uh, And today on the podcast, I have Adim, the artist Um, I'm excited to have them on And uh, we got into a lot of uh, good conversation Um, They have a new record out called Cast Iron Iron Pansexual uh, Which is incredible And um, you'll probably hear one of the songs here uh, Before I introduce them and it's, uh, it's really exciting. They're actually playing today um, with um, Mary Goche, Jamie Harris, and Chris Matthews for Taking Flight Number One. It'll be live on YouTube Live uh, with Country Queer. So make sure that you check that out. Um, Adim's awesome. And I, I definitely look forward to uh, seeing them live here soon, hopefully but uh, they have a new record out. Uh, they're going to be doing, uh, at some point in Knoxville, they'll be doing a record release. Uh, we talk about all that. Uh, what else is going on? Well, uh, in the world of Will Payne Harrison, uh, I'm working on my new record, and I have one more track to finish. Um, I haven't announced it yet, Um I'll I'll make sure that this is the first place that I announce it. But I am working on a a, a cover of a uh, dear friend that I'll be putting on the record, um, and that's the last track I need to record bass on. And it's always interesting recording on uh, or recording a song that you didn't write um, because I find I always end up spending a lot more time on it because you want to get it right, and it's not necessarily the, the way that you just fall into the rhythm of. Uh, you know, finger picking or strumming or playing bass or even like the the chord progressions and the the amount of time and the phrasing and things like that, it's all a little different. So I've had to spend a little bit more time on the cover, but I'm excited about it and I'm excited to announce uh, who it is and what song. Uh, That'll be exciting. What else is going on? Uh, Oh, I'm playing at uh, Sawstone Brewery in uh, Kentucky this Friday. And um, that'll be my first, that'll be my first gig since Eddie Owen presents last year in um, July. So it's been almost a year since I've performed live. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of brushing up trying to remember all the the lyrics to my songs and the covers that I'm going to be doing. But uh, if you're in the Kentucky area, right outside of Lexington, um, in Morstead, I believe is the name of the town. uh, You should come out, come check out uh, my first gig. Uh, Watch me... uh, Brush all the cobwebs off, and and maybe maybe halfway do a good job. Um, I promise not to drink too much beer so that I can remember the words. But uh, I'm excited to be back out there and uh, performing, and um, kind of been focusing on the new records, so haven't really been uh, looking to gig as of yet. But um, it's definitely on the horizon. It's on my mind, and so I'm excited about that. Um, We have so many great guests coming up on the podcast. Uh, Let's see. Shea Martin Lovett is going to be next. Um, We've got Tall Paul and um, Corby Lenker will also be. uh, I just uh, booked him on the podcast. And uh, there's a couple more that um, I'm working with some uh, publicists to. I'm kind of on pause right now just to catch up on all these podcasts that I have to get out. But. I do have some that I'll, once I book, I will announce uh, that I'm excited about as well. So it's going to be a great summer for podcasting, new music, and um, yeah, the world is is healing and getting better and things are starting to look up. I'm excited about all that. Uh, So let's talk about uh, Adim the Artist and their new album, Cast Iron Pansexual. Here we go. I was only five years
1: old when your song came out I heard should have been a cowboy on the radio
0: Screaming Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Adim, the artist. Uh Welcome, and thank you so much for being on. yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, how have things been going for your new album? You have uh, Cast Iron Pansexual has been out for two months now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's weird to think about because it feels like
1: uh, there was so much time thinking about anxiously it coming out. But uh, yeah, it's been out for two months now. And how's the reception been for the uh, record so far? Uh, Good, good. Um, I mean, nobody's tried to burn my house down or anything. So that's been nice. (laughs) That's always a plus. uh, (laughs) <laughs> and generally the response has been really favorable. I, I I mean, I almost didn't release it um as recently as February. I was like, I don't know if I'll put this out or not. So the fact that it's been so well received has been really cool and surprising to me.
0: What what was the maybe the opposition to releasing the record? Um timing or
1: I, I would say I just didn't know if it I just didn't know if it mattered to anybody um I I, I had some anxiety about like dog on Toby Keith um for a lot of reasons but then also it just like I don't know it's like full of uh full of me processing like really personal stuff that I didn't know if anybody would relate with so it was more like I just really wasn't sure if there was even any any interest in the greater sphere for something like what I was doing
0: Have you found people that uh, have been able to relate to it and have like reached out to you uh, in that regards?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it, uh, it resonated with a lot of people. Um, I think there's uh, I think it's Henry Nauin that says the, the things that are most personal are the most universal. And I had uh, really taken to disliking that um, sort of painting the human experience as a monolith, but it has been sort of validated by this experience
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. It's always validating too, because it it does seem so, you know, deep and personal. Um, but even, you know, uh, if, if there's specifics in the song, you can, so so everyone can always relate to something, you know, in that, uh, yes, sort of, uh, realm. uh, But yeah, so you were born, you're a seventh generation, uh, Carolinian. Is that North or South?
1: Uh, it's both it's, it's both.
0: both, yeah, family talk
1: is back and forth between the Carolinas, but uh, i I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my dad was born in uh, South Carolina. My granddad was born in North Carolina. <laughs> it's kind of a and we switch our names back and forth every like every like three grandfathers the the last name goes from Bingham to
0: Bingham and then back to Bingham
1: <laughs> to Bingham. I don't know why
0: <laughs> peculiar. So- so being from the South your whole life, and um, I guess kind of uh, dealing with uh, you know we were talking about before we got started, uh, you know being kind of enforced of like there are boys and there are girls like how, how did unpacking this whole um, discovering yourself uh, how, how did that work and and how did being a child of the south? affect that process yeah
1: um well i think i mean i i met my first trans friend um probably like six or seven years ago the the first person i knew who was like openly trans and like opened up to me about it um and that was like right after like laura jane grace had came out so i was like kind of starting to be I don't know interested in it as like a thing that was happening uh in the world that I didn't really know a lot about prior. Um, I would say um I don't know from a personal standpoint, I think I always felt um like i did I was not measuring up to what it meant to be like uh a boy or a man, you know like the 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 societal construct of of what that looks like. Um, I think my dad was, was definitely trying to, trying to help shape me into like his idea of what that looks like, um, along the way, but I've known, I mean, I've been conscious of the fact that I don't really identify with the gender binary for a few years. Um, and then last year there was this, um, there's this trans activist, uh, named Alok who is, um. I don't think they're on Twitter, but they're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And I have some non-binary friends who are sharing posts uh, from this this model slash activist. And um, Alok is like, Alok is just like Indian person with like a lot of body hair and like a big beard and like really um, like colorful and vibrant makeup and like really vibrant clothes that are like very form-fitting and very like over the top and extravagant and um i remember the first time i saw a photo of them it was shared by my friend and like my gut response was like they would be so beautiful if they would shave (laughs) (laughs) you know like like it's so it's so weird to me that they're not just like living into this um femininity and um then I started reading the comments because I was just like intrigued because I think that my, my, my reaction was very much like this, look, this is unattractive. Like they, they are an attractive person doing an unattractive thing. Um, And I am not the type of person who would have ever like put that in a comment (laughs) or anything, you know, that was just internal response. Um, And they kept sharing like stuff they were doing, like photos that they would post and so I like over, over the course of a couple of weeks, I just was really starting to like hone in on that response in myself. Like this is happening every time I see these photos, like I'm having, I'm having a really visceral response to this. That's like interesting to me because I don't know that I agree with that. Almost like, uh, you know, if you see when I was younger, that was like, I would see larger bodies and think like if they would just lose weight. They would be attractive. Uh, versus kind of going through the work of like, well, all bodies are beautiful, right? Um, and this was that same thing kind of coming up for me again, and I think realizing the response I was having to this other person helped me really hone in on like, oh, that's like a that's like a trained response that I'm having for myself, like that's like that's like barriers that I've built over, like what I think masculinity and femininity is. That's like what I think being a man versus being a woman is. Right. Um, And some of the ways that like, you know, I got into like construction work um, probably a few years ago, like I wanted to quit my job and do music. I had like a corporate job. So I quit the corporate job and I was like doing construction work and doing, you know, odd jobs and things like that. And that was like a heavy dose of like like sometimes like really toxic masculinity. And I think during that time it was like, I started wearing manhood, like drag, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so really just to survive um, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so processing through that though, that like those definitions inside of me that were telling me like, this is what you're supposed to be. And this is what this looks like. And this is what this looks like was really helpful. Um, and then just the, I mean, I think this is true for everybody, but just the pandemic, like, <laughs> I don't know, you, there's, you, you have no reason to, to play the performative roles that you have to play to like navigate society anymore, you know, because you're not out there, right? you know, and that's true for everybody. That's not just as it applies to, to gender issues or sexuality issues or anything else. That's just like, like the, the fucking fake laugh you have to do. So, I don't know if I can swear on this. Sorry, yeah, you can, you're fine. <laughs> uh, the fake the fake laugh you do at the water fountain with the guy that you don't really like, but thanks to your buddies. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't, you don't have to like maintain this like superficial relationship. Um, and so that was like a lot of what I was kind of going through was just like, I no longer had to show up in the way that I was expected to show up. And that kind of freed me to really re-examine like, well, well how do I want to present? How do I want to be interpreted? How, you know, like, like just on a base level.
0: So this was more like the, pandemic sort of freed you from that or is, is it more recent like that in the last year or that was just when yeah. you kind of mentally were free but you were already like working uh, on who you were yeah I would say that was like I would say the pandemic played a big role because
1: because I the alok moment happened for me just at the start of the pandemic so that was a lot of like and then I started writing these songs kind of processing my sexuality which like I've been uh, like out to myself and like immediate people for 10 years now, but that's not something that I ever like announced really. I never was like, and guess what you guys. (laughs) Right. Um, And so that's, there's a song on the album about like never having came out. And that was like kind of the first one I think that I wrote of this collection um, when I was starting to process my sexuality and in doing that just came into a lot of the same like issues, like, I don't want to tell people that I'm non-binary because like, I don't want to take space that should be reserved for like real non-binary people. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it better than that. It sounds a bit daft, I guess, but um, Wait, there was but, a lot but of But what
0: that. makes you a real non-binary person like comparatively? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, someone that's, else, I mean,
1: well, that's the othering that happens. Right. I mean, um, you know, I, I think, I think it was easier for me to define with, sexuality because I was married to a woman um and presenting as man. And so it was very like like I don't know to to put myself out there and to say like I'm pansexual seems very much like I don't know, like I'm trying to ride a brand or something that I don't deserve to ride in some way. Um
0: like there are people who are like you, like you were afraid more, of reception is is that kind of what no, you mean or I just I guess what
1: I mean is like the idea of like coming out is such a like important moment for so many people. And I also think yeah. that like it's a really vulnerable moment for for so many people. And I think like I remember when I talked I came out to my mom, um, that was probably 2012, and she was like, It's just a phase, like it's not a big deal, like you you'll 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 get over it. Um You know, she was like very sweet, but that's what she, that was her take. Um, And then I married a woman and that felt very self-sabotaging. Like I'd fulfilled my mom's prophecy in some way. Yeah. Um, Which is not true. Like I didn't, my, my sexuality didn't change because I married a woman. But I think that like by being in a cishet relationship for so long, it felt very much like I had a sort of safety that I was insulated from a sort of criticism. And if I told people I was queer, it just seemed to them very much like, okay, well, deem's trying to fuck dudes now, I guess, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or it seems like deem's trying to get attention. Um, I have, I have an obsession with like the way other people interpret everything that happens uh, regarding me and around me all the time. So that this is uh, wrapped up in all of that, but. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was it. I think it was the fear of seeming like I was taking up room that should be reserved from people who like have more risk involved in coming out. And then with non-binary, it was kind of the same thing. It was like, I don't know, like, I don't want to be a woman. It's not, it's not like I woke up one day and was like, I'm in the wrong body. Like, I don't think I ever felt that. And I don't identify with that. Um, and a lot of people do, a lot of people feel that really strongly. Dysphoria is like a pretty common thing. Um, so for me, it was like, I just, I just wanted to have the freedom to express my gender in like all these different ways. And sometimes that means like, you know, wearing work boots and like dressing very masculine and like, you know, sometimes it does, sometimes it means wearing a dress and wearing makeup and like feeling really pretty and presenting in that way. And so I didn't know yet, um, that you didn't have to like pick a side I guess in a lot of ways you you know what I mean so I think for me it felt like well maybe I'm just like I don't know but I ultimately I think it has a lot to do with like the same in the same way that when I was a kid like and there were like gay kids in my high school I thought those kids were like born like knowing they were gay and fully confident in that and I like was not like that at all you know like I I I had been told from like a very young age that being gay was like a really horrible thing to do. So of course there was no space for me to even entertain it. That was like a part of my attraction in my, you know, in my, um, in my, in myself. And so I think that it was a similar thing that was happening where, um, I was just othering people a lot in my mind, and so it was like, well, I can't relate to like the trans experience. And because I was so heavily centered on like not relating with that experience, I wasn't allowing myself to just like accept like this is just one of those experiences that I'm having, you know.
0: So with the songwriting previous to that, was it uh, not as like I guess open to the the whole pansexual experience? Was this album like the first time that you like really allowed yourself to explore? these topics or had you explored them before and maybe just not put them out? Um, well, Apartment was written in 2011 um,
1: and just kind of reworked for the album. So there, there are a couple on here that are older that were never released. Um, and then there was a song, there was a song called Midway Motel that I wrote a few years ago that talks about uh, kissing, a kissing a boy um, growing up. <laughs> I was, I was trying to, to turn a, turn a corner on country themes, but yeah. So I I don't think it's something that I'd like refused to address necessarily, but like, this was very, (laughs) this this very much became like a coming out sort of album.
0: Right. Yeah. And have you always done like the, the more like country route or is this um, something that uh, you've explored in the last few albums as well? Um, I'm, you know, I, I, Honestly, it wasn't I didn't uh, dive into your uh, back catalog too much. I've just been listening to the new record uh, the most. No, that's fine. I um, well, I so
1: I moved to New York when I was um when I was twelve years old and did a lot of work to like get rid of my accent and um sort of distance myself from being from the South. So when I moved to Knoxville, that was eleven years ago. I was like billing myself as like a New York indie folk artist. Like that yeah. was kind of my, my, uh, my brand that I was pushing at the time. Um, and I was, I, you know, the mountain goats are one of my favorite bands. Uh, I really like David Bazan and yeah. um, John Uh So that was kind of very much where I was centered around. Um, and then in 20, 2015 or 2016, I found this Roger Allen Wade album. I don't know if you're familiar with Roger Allen Wade. Um, I'm not. Have to um tell me about him. <laughs> really, really great. Um, but he had this album called Southbound Train that's just gorgeous from front to back. And it was like um really, really crucial for me in beginning to see like the marriage of um poetry and like the rural South in a way that I had never been exposed to before. Cause like I knew nineties country bops, um, but especially in the post nine 11, like, you know, world of country music, I felt very estranged and disconnected from all of that. And it felt like kind of a parody of itself. So to find like, to find an entry point back into like kind of my childhood and like my, my folks was like really, really nice, and then, you know, branching out of there, I discovered John Prine and Guy Clark and James McMurtry and um, yeah that was kind of that was kind of when my writing began to really center around like embracing being in and of the south and not trying to like distance myself from it and pretend like it didn't happen, <laughs> you
0: know? right.
1: Um, so I think I released an album called Kyla Demas's Dead." Uh, before that album, I was releasing music as Kyle Adim, Um and had been doing shows for uh, a long time under that moniker. Um, and so when I released Kyle Deem is Dead, that was kind of the first like pretty, pretty staunchly Americana record. Like my writing definitely was leaning in that direction. And that's kind of where I was.
0: Were you like influenced by like the bluegrass and... um Country music from like the Carolinas and East Tennessee. Um, yeah,
1: some. I mean, I think, I think as a kid, I was, I I was mostly listening to, just like national country radio. Um, and then by the time I left, I was getting really into Eminem and and leave, right, <laughs> you know, leaving that world behind. Um, but I, I, when I first started playing was in New York and that was in, uh, around 2004, 2005. And I would go to the public library in my home, my town up there that I lived. And I would, um, like listen to all these Appalachian pickers and they play like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of like picking takes on John Prine tunes and stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know. I started listening to John Prine and then I recognized like so many of his catalog because, because of this, but yeah, I think that's where a lot of, a lot of my early folk and uh, country music started coming in. Um, Bluegrass, I really uh, experienced peripherally living in Knoxville and going around to a lot of the folk festivals around town and stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, So on your record, where did you, did you record it in Knoxville? And like, who were, who were some of the people that were on the record with you?
1: Yeah. um, Well, it's all me. Um, oh wow! I did. Um, I did. I did the recording, and I did all the instrumentation.
0: Um, yeah. Kudos. Did you do thanks. the? Did you do the producing and everything? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Wow. Um, it was. Um, I mean, it's a great sounding record. I, I, you know, it sounds like you know a lot of people were on the album, so that's really well, cool shit, that, that was thanks. all you. That that's really high praise. I appreciate that. That's the thing I think I feel most nervous about is, is it sounding like shit? So (laughs) totally. Yeah. Cause it's all you. So it all rides on you. So if it's like shit, there's no one else to blame.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And your ears are just tuned the way they're tuned. So it's like, at some point, even if it sounds good to you, you you know, you can't know until it's out in the world, like what people are going to think about it.
0: So did you, did you do the thing that a lot of, I've had a lot of guests on the program uh, do this where you just bought a bunch of gear and like kind of learned it on your own or had you already built up a studio previous? Um,
1: yeah, I did it previous to the
0: pandemic I did in,
1: um, in 2016, I did a Kickstarter and, um, I kickstarted four CDs about birds and, um, I did two, I, I bought a bunch of studio gear and I did two of the bird CDs and then my kid was born and the, the other two were still kind of just like waiting. <laughs> they've been written and they've been in in, in pre-production for like ever. Um, those are the ones that Joseph Biden just removed from the Spotify. So it's been a, it's been a rough go, but that's a, that's a inside social media joke, I guess. <laughs>
0: I was trying to figure out what that was, by the way, <laughs> right before we started this podcast. Uh, I saw some of those tweets and I was like, wait, Joe Biden removed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> can you explain that? So, so I don't have to look it up.
1: Oh man. Um, so basically, yeah, I learned, I learned recording stuff. Um, I mean, I'm still learning, right? That's like, right. That's like what it is. You just don't stop. Forever student. Um, yeah. And I started learning in, in 2016, when I started doing the birdie peas and they get progressively better. Actually, I opened up the session files the other day and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I mean, it's just a disaster. There's like, there's like 40, like inputs on every single track. It's just ridiculous.
0: Um, how many reverbs do I need on the vocals? Yeah, um, I, I've been there. And then you put, like, the the compression on each track instead of bussing it yeah. and just stupid <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No buses on this. It yeah. crashed my computer to open the file. Right,
1: exactly. Um, this is ridiculous. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of learned on those. And then, um, you know, this year, the Cast Iron Pansexual album, like, sounded great. It was received really great. And I just kind of was like, you know, I'm going to, like, I'm going to take some of these older CDs that don't sound very good off of here. <laughs> you oh, know? Okay. Just like, I'm just going to like kind of make this my, my turning point where things that don't live up to the threshold can kind of go live on band camp in the vault. And um, so I made that decision. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to make it fun. I'm going to pretend like the president is making me do it. <laughs> and so I, I made a tweet in, in February or March. And I was like, guess what everybody I just found out that Joe Biden is removing the f- flamingo from all streaming services and uh it got like no traction like nobody really responded to it or anything and then I deleted it obviously I was like well okay that's done and then uh in April I thought well I'll make it funnier this time I'll mock up a letter from Joe Biden and so I went in like uh photoshop and I like just doctored a letter that I found from Joe Biden and um the letter is stupid i mean it's so stupid it's like it's like a dean we we don't really do stuff like this so it's pretty serious (laughs) there's just so many like obviously like i made this up moments in the letter and then i posted it and people like freaked out and um about an hour in i was like oh shit like a lot of people believe that this is actually happening you know that's perfect. Um, That's what you want. <laughs> it was maybe I was like very anxious about it. Um, and so when it started that way I was just like, well, I guess I guess this is what I'm doing now. I guess I'm just going to milk this for as long as I can. And so then I was just like people kept saying like, I'm not sure if this is real or not, but if it's real, it's crazy. And I would just respond and say, he signed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I was using like a doctored letter that I found on the internet. All I, I googled like letter from Joe Biden. Um, and so I did that. And then, uh, near, near the end of the day, like a bunch of people started swooping in, like, don't let them fool you. Like, this isn't real. A deem never got a letter from Joe Biden. Like they're trying to trick you. And that's when I got mad. Cause I was like, if I was trying to trick people, I would have done a better job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like I am, I am being a jackass and doing art and comedy like I am not trying to like pull the wool over people's eyes right um like the people that are trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes are the people who are convincing your like uncle that Dr. Seuss is being censored by the government those are the people like the (laughs) news sites that are doing the shit that I'm doing but they're doing it well those are the people you should be mad at not me
0: and that's the funny thing is that like we're in such a, a insane part of history that like Satire like that is taken seriously.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and now uh, you know it's. I did the same. I'm doing the same thing again today. I'm playing with the same energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's really, it's it's really strange. I had to release a a video where I explained all the points in the letter where I tried to make people realize it wasn't real. Because at the end of the day, it is like I would like people to understand that they have to like view this shit more critically. Right, you know, it's mostly Facebook. It, between the three social media platforms that I that I'm using for this stuff, Facebook is the one that erupts the most. Where people are like, real quick to be like, "This is bullshit." We've got to do something. We'll write letters to Joe Biden, and it's like, you need to fucking calm down. Joe Biden would never write me a letter, even if this were happening. Like, what is wrong with you?
0: But imagine um, if you got on like the Knoxville News. <laughs> like, they reached local out to me. artists. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. The
1: new Sentinel reached out to me and asked me what the situation was. That's and um,
0: hilarious.
1: And I was just like, I don't know. I can't really talk about it right now. Cause I was like, I don't even know how to handle this. Um, Cause a part of me was like, maybe I should milk this. Maybe I should see how far, like maybe this can be an experiment in seeing how much, how far you can take a totally fabricated news story before like Andy it like, Kaufman gets flagged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kaufman's one of my biggest heroes. So the, it informs a lot of my, uh, my shenanigans. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, so I didn't, and then I did another one, uh, like a couple days later, it was like a new letter by Joseph Biden. And this one had like just ridiculous hokey font. It was like really silly. And, uh, it was just full of like criticisms of Joe Biden. Like, I think I made him say, uh, I don't have time to help you with your social media jokes because I'm too busy workshopping, uh, how to spin, my marketing plan of separating families at the border so that it seems like a good thing now that I'm president, something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people were like, I can't believe this is happening to you still. And I was like, What do I have to do? <laughs>
0: you should have misspelled some of the words.
1: <laughs> I did. Oh, I you did? <laughs> did? It was just obscene.
0: Um, and so then I was just kind of
1: like, I don't know. There's no hope. Like people just, uh, there's, I, and I think I've had a month to like really w- think about it. And I think that there's so much. Like, I think everyone is just in a fucking trauma response, like all the time. I think so many people live in fight or flight right now. And it's like, you can't, thankfully, like you don't have all of your capacity to like reason and use critical thinking when you're always like feeling like you're in danger. And that's how so many people feel and have felt for the past few years, you know?
0: Has it uh, increased your, your Spotify plays though? <laughs> Are people like, now I'm going to listen to your new music. He can't take that off. I don't know. I don't
1: know. I mean, the Spotify plays have gone up, um, but this is in conjunction with so many other attempts to make my Spotify plays go up. It's tough to say what's working and what's not. Um, That was the worst take, though. A bunch of people were like, Adeem's just trying to make us buy this CD. (laughs) CD's (laughs) not even for sale. You can't even buy it. There's no... I have no motive.
0: So you you don't have... um... Physical copies of it. It's just on streaming platforms. um Cast iron, yeah. Cast iron is.
1: Uh, I'm I'm doing a a proper CD release show um, coming up that I have yet to announce. Um, well, I've announced it now.
0: Have you been uh, working from home and trying to improve your home studio? I want to talk to you today about soundproofyourstudio.com. They help create your dream home studio. Uh, I know with COVID... It's hard to get out and uh, go to a regular studio, and a lot of us have been building up our home studios. And uh, they, if you sign up, they give you a free soundproofing course, and you get 10 secrets to pro recordings and mixes. Not only that, but I was also sent a studio build checklist uh, for signing up. So make sure you go to soundproofyourstudio.com. That's soundproofyourstudio.com today. Are you a fan of Americana music and you want to hear the latest and greatest reviews and uh, opinions on the up and coming artists in the scene? Well, then you need to visit AmericanaHighways.org. That's AmericanaHighways.org for reviews like Crown Over by Yours Truly and playlists like the Backroads playlist by Yours Truly. There's lots of great reviews on there and uh, you should check it out, AmericanaHighways.org. And now back to the interview
1: celebrating war
0: with eagles and stars. awesome are you uh putting it on vinyl as well or just cd for now um yeah just cd for now uh i
1: i have i have aspirations of putting it on vinyl um it's just so, it's just so expensive so expensive yeah um and it's like in my mind i'm like this is a lot of money to It's been for like 15 dads who love
0: IPAs to be really excited. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but the thing is that some people will buy it um, just because it's so uh, niche too, you know, like even if they don't have a record player, they'll buy it, you know? It's true. Uh, So I don't know. There's something about like, I mean, I do have a record player, but there's something about like paying 20 bucks for like a vinyl versus paying like 10 bucks for a CD. You're like, meh CD, you know, but right. um, So I, I, I definitely think that uh, at some point my next record, I'll uh, put on vinyl and, uh, and try it out and see if it works. But you're right. It's like, I mean, the lowest amount you can get currently is what, like 200 copies for like, at least two grand, you know? So they're at least yeah. 10 a piece up front that you got to pay for. It's so expensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The break-even point is like pretty high. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, there's, um, you can, there, there are smaller companies that do like lower runs. So I've thought about doing it as like a, a you know, a Patreon tier or something. Cause there's like a, you know, if somebody's giving you like, Twenty bucks a month, then that's a lot more money for for a vinyl record every year.
0: Uh, Yeah, but yeah, you got to sell like a hundred just to break even. You know, it's true. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is wild. And
0: And the way that touring is going right now, it's like right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's right now. Like to well, even if you think about like selling them online, um, now you've got to get the packaging. um, You've got to make sure that it's you know like first class like and I hope that it gets there without getting warped or broken. Right. So it's, it's a, I mean, in, in that case, you, you know, that's like, you know, you gotta put, you gotta charge 30 bucks if you mail it to just to make sure that it, you get your cost.
1: Yeah. No kidding.
0: But yeah. Oof. Well, talking shop. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> hopefully you do eventually get records. Cause I would love to have one. If you did, I'd be one of those 15 IPA loving dads. I will definitely do them at some point.
1: <laughs> um, the The question is, is whether or not it's by the end of the year or next year.
0: Yeah. Okay. I got a couple of Twitter questions for you. Uh, first is uh, at find me reading. And um, they ask, uh, I'm very curious about the process of putting together the buried treasure lists, which I absolutely love. How do you go? How do they go about finding artists and deciding which ones to feature?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, that doesn't have anything to do with my album, so I'm not interested in answering it. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, the buried treasure. Uh, thank you for reading it. That's amazing. Um, I have, first of all, a bunch of submissions. Like people have have sent us tons of submissions, and when I first started on doing the column, I already had a bunch of music to kind of sift through. Um, I do lean towards um, quirkier things, things that are less like securely country and more like building blocks. I'm really excited about the idea of advancing country music into new spaces. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of, of my curation of buried treasure. I, you know, I'll like, I'll like look st- certain terms up on Twitter, trying to find people. Um, and then my, Spotify will recommend things to me sometimes and then obviously publicists launch stuff at me a lot. So that's, that's it. I like, um, I really like it's, it's been harder lately because I have less in my bank um, to center diversity in that. In the beginning, it was much easier because I had such a huge wealth of people kind of waiting for coverage um, to be like, okay, these are the, these are the marks that I want to want to hit to make sure that like we're really, spreading out our representation in these um but yeah that's that's it thank you for listening to the buried treasure i have found some of my favorite artists on there dorje the singing shaman is a personal hero of mine and
0: um, i'm glad you you mentioned her i actually uh, i don't know if i found her through you or not but um her new record is really good Oh, it's it's really incredible. <laughs> yeah, actually so I have the um and I, I featured you on it too but I have the uh, Americana Highways uh, backroads playlist and uh Yeah,
1: thank you for that by the way.
0: Yeah, no problem. And uh I had uh, George A on there uh, as well. And I'm not sure you probably honestly it was probably you that had like tweeted something about her and I was I listened to it and it was great so I put it uh on the playlist as well.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, she's like <sighs> I don't know you hear for the first time. I mean, it's like, okay, I'm a fan.
0: Yeah. Her Uh, voice is just incredible too. It's
1: funny. She's like, it seems like that's the thing she's most insecure about as an artist. And it's so funny (laughs) (laughs) because she's just like an amazing singer.
0: Well, I'd seen a couple of tweets that she had posted where, you know, she said, you know, I want to sing, I'm I'm doing country music. And then people were like, you should do, uh, what did they say? Like uh, some other genre. Um, yeah, like gospel or some something, or soul, soul, or yeah, yeah something that's I guess a little bit more um, uh, black oriented. And she was like, what, right. "Just because I'm black, it's like I can still sing country music." I saw those tweets, and I was like, "That's super awesome!" Because I definitely uh, do see that a lot in, especially in the country world, where they're like, "It's like it, it, the twang in your or like the way that you sing doesn't necessarily make you." Uh, country artist, or not, you know, there's tons right. of awful oh, singers Keith in country. Keith Urban is like one of the biggest country artists. Yeah, He's like exactly. From Australia. Exactly. And he doesn't hide his Australian accent, you know? Mm-mm. No. But nobody ever questioned Keith Urban's country music credentials. Or like some of the, there's like one girl, I can't think of her name offhand, but she's from like Indiana and has a Midwestern accent, you know? Right. Yeah, uh, it's funny
1: to listen to those songs and think that anybody could listen to the songs on her album and say it's not country. It's just like, there's, it's just racist. Exactly. (laughs) There's there's like no other way around it. I mean, it's such a, it's such a unapologetically country album from, from front to finish.
0: Right. And if you just, I mean, like when people say that kind of stuff, if you just interchange country with white, then you can't sing that. You're not white. (laughs) Yeah. No,
1: exactly. That's, yeah.
0: That's, that's what they really mean.
1: It's integrated into the whole industry, you know. It's a bummer.
0: Yeah, it really is, and and I'm happy that you know, uh, you know, like country queer and and um, you know, a lot of the Americana industry is is change, trying to change that, but getting it changed in the mainstream country is going to be a, a a huge overhaul task.
1: Yeah, we we're, we we're, we got people on the ground. Um, my friend Holly started a, a website called Black Opry that's doing the same thing, country queer has been oh, doing for that. queer voices for, uh, for black country artists. And um, I think, I think she's, she's getting a good legway with her launch. And, um you know, Reese Palmer's got the color me country show on Apple music. And I think that's been a huge push. um uh, Andrea and Martina, the um, writers on, on Twitter who are constantly taking everybody to task over, over not so subtle, uh, uh, latent white supremacist takes on things. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of forward movement, but you're right. It is, um, it is really staunchly embedded.
0: Well, even, even here at the podcast, like, you know, I, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I've had how many white male straight white males and, and on the podcast in a row, you know, and, and right. I, I'm embarrassed to say, I think that, um, Mercy Bell is the only, um, non-white guest I've had so far, you know? And so I'm trying to branch out and, uh, you know, do better, but, you know, sometimes you just have to admit that too, you know, that like, I mean, there is, there are a lot of white male artists in Americana and, um, it's, you know, you, you've got to do, do the work and, and, and reach out for the other people as well. Uh, so that's something that I'm, I'm trying to work on myself. Cause I see the, the, you know, the issues that a lot of people are bringing up, like I see that I'm, I'm a part of the problem, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I
1: think a lot more of us need to, to, to recognize that and to do our best to, to show up, to do the actual work. Um, and it is, I mean, I would say the majority of submissions I get are from are from, for white artists. Um, I don't know. It is, it is an act. I think that, I think there's something that tells you, no, I'm not going to say it that way. I think for me, I have struggled with it in a bunch of arenas, like as somebody who has the sort of platform of country queer doing buried treasure, but also as somebody who, you know, I hire band members to play with me at shows um and i hire white guys you know i've got a couple of white women that play with me sometimes but i um you know i hire i hire my buds uh you know it's it's kind of this thing where it's like um that makes it sound like i'm only friends with white people but um like the the <laughs> music scene um the music scene especially when it comes to americana you know we've got like we've got a handful of people in town people of color who are doing um Doing you know roots ish music, um, but that's there 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 aren't a lot. And you know it's it's one of these situations where if I get a gig and the guarantee on that gig is like two hundred dollars, like I'm not gonna like go out of my way to like make sure that I have a black person in my band and be like I can give you thirty bucks, right? <laughs> you know, like that's just as shitty, like that's just as complainable. So like I'm gonna get my my white dudes to show up and underpay them. Because they're my buds and they're fine taking a loss. And then when the big money gigs come in, I feel like I owe those white dudes who showed up when I wasn't making a lot of money. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So it's
1: like this weird fucking cycle. And I, I don't I don't know what the answer is to it, but but I do know that my my feeling is always like, well, things have to happen organically, you know. But the yes. truth is I don't I don't think that's what it is. I think at some point along the way, like you have to you have to just say like it. like i need i need this to change and i have to do uncomfortable things to be intentional about making a change you know yeah
0: um yeah that makes that definitely makes sense i mean i've i i'm you know the same way i've i've definitely hired um sometimes i've had like all uh female backing um bands but uh yeah on, uh, almost always white uh people um right. So it's, you know, and, and some, some of them were, uh, queer and, and, but yeah, like the, I guess the people of color part of hiring, um, musicians is a little bit more, uh, well in Nashville, it's a little bit better. There's, there's a lot more, uh, people of color doing country music. Cause I mean, why would you come to Nashville unless you're doing country music right. or at least know yeah, how yeah. to play it? But yeah, for sure. Um, so it's a little bit better, but I, I still, I mean, here I am in a, a city that does have more people of color doing country music and I still have yet to hire someone. Um, so, you know, yeah, definitely at fault there. I think um, I, we had a meeting last night and Holly was talking
1: about from from Black Opry about um, coming up with a a strategy. Are you familiar with the um, oh, I'm really ignorant about a lot Um it's, it's a, I don't know where it originated. I know it as kind of a Twitter thing that was going around, but it's kind of just a pledge, like a country music pledge to make a more equitable scene, um, racially yeah. equitable. And uh, I think they're trying to put together now um, some kind of uh, calls to action rather than just like, you know, because that that pledge that was going around was just like, you know, I will try to hire more Black people. I will try to, boost the voice of black artists, things like that. And I think that this is, uh, this is coming up with specific, like, you know, these are artists that are releasing stuff that you could feature this month. These are, these are people that are looking for gigs right now, you know, more, more pointed, like, here's some
0: practical application for that pledge you took <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> rather than just like, I don't know. if. Oh, that's out. great. That's a great idea. Um, yeah.
0: To so kind of think- make it e- even easier. Cause like we, a lot of us don't know where to start. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure.
1: Um, Well, and it's like, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in a situation right now where I'm, I'm assembling my band uh, for this release show. And it's like, it's like, I want to be intentional, but I also just like in general feel so much anxiety about just like playing with somebody that I don't really know or don't know if I'm going to gel with yet, you know? So it's like, you know, I I know there are people um, in Nashville that you can get like a, a, you know, you can get, you can find spreadsheets of like musicians who want to play and who are looking for gigs and who are like the top, top class of of, of their instruments, you know, but it doesn't do anything to tell you like, am am I going to have fun with this person? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had my, the guitar player in my band, I went and met with him and a bass player friend of ours the other night and they were like we got to play with this drummer, you know? And, uh, I love those guys so much, but they, you know, they, um, you know, it's just like, you know, there's a difference in, how do I say this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm dogging on my friends. It's this, it's like, in straight white guys, like experience of other people. And I think you're one of these straight white guys I'm talking about, um, but the straight white guy experience of other people is based on the way that those people treat and interact with straight white guys. Right. And so it's like it's so difficult when somebody tells me this is a this is a good dude. I don't know what that means. Because that means that they were a good dude to you, which is a very different set of circumstances than like my experience is going to be of them. And, you know, like my 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 other like my black friends and my queer friends who are also out you know what i mean they're they're going to have a different experience to this
0: person too than you do that's a total totally valid point yeah um yeah and i can't tell you how many times where you know someone um who's not a straight, straight white male uh has been like this guy's an asshole or whatever and you're like what really they're like awesome to me you know um right so I I yeah, that's a totally valid point. And I think this, this leads into the other Twitter question that we got uh from Easy Haven One. And uh she asks uh maybe ask them why they still play country type of or adjacent music when historically a lot of the core audience would alienate them from living their truth.
1: Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that's part of the um part of the hesitation to release this album. Cause this is, I would say this is the first country album I've ever put out. Yeah. I think that everything else I've done has been like, uh, tangentially Americana, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this is, this is definitely like unapologetically a country album.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Um, I think there are two things that happened for me. The first thing is, um, Country music was what I listened to as a kid. Um, I loved Jody Messina and Faith Hill and Trisha Yearwood. I love Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks was my fucking hero as a kid. Um, Like that, that was the stuff that I grew up on. You know, dad comes home from the machine shops, you know, smelling like oil and there's like country music on the radio. And um, like that's, yeah, that's, that's it. That's the, that's the roots of it. Um, And then, you know, packing that on I think I think on a personal level for me I was um, always really drawn to tradition you know when I was when I was in the Christian Church um, especially in my in my second pass at trying to participate in the faith I was really into the idea that the the faith practices were tied to some sort of tradition like like I was connected to something bigger than myself and I think that country music to me feels very similar to that I feel like I'm participating in something that's like both uh, ancestral um, part of part of me and part of the world um, in a really I don't know I don't know it's
0: Yeah, this is, maybe it's a dumb answer No, no, no um i think I think, think I found out what uh, what your uh brand of country is. It's progressive country.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe so. yeah, maybe so. and that was always my that was always Pushing my vibe boundaries in, um before with with tradition, but i I really like you know, I think I found at some point that I was taking on so many attributes of like the artists in the different spheres that I was circling in. And when I got really heavily involved in allowing myself to enjoy country music again without like qualifying it, you know, the same with my accent. Like when I, when I no longer felt like I was like, I don't know, admitting I was from like a poor redneck family by having an accent or, you know, you know, like uh, that. Yeah, I, I relate to how- that. <laughs> like I, I know the right word to use here, yeah. but it's, it. but also there's a different language that I n- know how to speak from my childhood and in that language this is the right way to say it right you know, it drives my wife crazy that my kid says uh the, where where's that box what what's got the <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> instead of that has you know and that's that's this like other language um anyway
0: uh yeah i think yeah, it's like a it, but you don't want to it's heritage you know and uh, yeah you don't want to like forsake your family heritage um or whitewash it or whatever, you know, in some ways. And, and that's a struggle that – I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, no. But that's a struggle that I've been dealing with because, you know, I, I come from Tioga, Louisiana. And uh, there, I mean, like, I, I have to translate from my dad sometimes to other people because right. his accent's so thick. And, like, I tried to take that away. And so then I struggle with, like, do I, like – bring it back do or or is that inauthentic you know like like in re-embracing my like twang you know yeah it's a weird thing because you do feel like people look at you as more ignorant if you speak that way
1: yeah absolutely um and i yeah i don't know i i think it's i think um I think there are a lot of folks that are part of that. I mean, I think there are a lot of folks who left who are who are coming around to it too to um to like you know allowing themselves to kind of like drift back into it, you know. Yeah, um, I think that's part of a greater thing that's happening um on a on a on a significant scale. Another thing that I would say um actually is that i and this is something I toy with on this album some, but I think that there are um there are specific narratives that get centered so heavily in country music, you know, and those are the narratives that made me feel like I didn't have a place in country music, and they made me feel divorced from my whole culture you know i did, i I've tried to find cultural identity in so many different weird um and inappropriate spaces for me to try to occupy uh before you know i just was like oh like i'm a redneck white kid my name i was named kyle at birth <laughs> <laughs> that's just who i am you know i punch drywall i drink mountain dew i <laughs> you know and you, I you don't hang have, out it, in the walmart parking lot on friday ex- night yeah. exactly i'm gonna play toby keith from my big truck in the walmart parking lot because there's nowhere <laughs> else to go um but yeah i think i think that to to take up space and to use this genre of music which i mean i make it seem like i'm doing something more intentional than i'm doing because a lot of this album is the way that it is because i was like reckoning with my sexuality and gender and i was listening to country music so it kind of just fucking happened you know what i mean like this is just what i was listening to and absorbing so of course that's what came out but especially as it revolves around the Toby Keith song there's a lot of that like how how can I take how can I take back that narrative in a way that leaves space you know because North Carolina isn't all like I mean fuck I remember being a kid and seeing the seeing the clan gathered you know downtown Charlotte like I remember this um like how can I how can I say that North Carolina isn't all confederate flags and and um you know, white guys trying to trying to bang white girls in short shorts in their pickup trucks. Um, but say it's also like, it's also getting your tarot red in Asheville. It's also like um, wearing clothes of the gender you're not assigned with and experimenting with what that looks like and what it means for you. It's also all these other things because people, especially, you know, I'm going to sound like a fucking Trumper, but like you got coastal elite kind of democrat folks who who look at tennessee and say like you know they're a bunch of fucking rednecks and it's like okay but tennessee is full of black people and it's full of queer people and we are tennessee like right. tennessee doesn't get to be what you've decided it is based on the fact you know there's this whole fucking structures in place man they've they've got these pipelines where they funnel kids right out of school into the prison system you know, and then they get in the prison system and they re- relocate them into these like majority white conservative neighborhoods so that they count for the population, but they're not allowed to vote. And now all of a sudden, all the power is resting on like white conservative people, you know, and the, and the people who, who are here uh, feel so fucking disenfranchised by all these systems that are so palpable that they largely don't vote. I mean, Tennessee is, is mostly like non-voters. I don't know. Anyway, all that to say, I think, um, I think, I think making that more part of the story, like making making the story more about the voices that don't get centered here, and also, you know, um, I don't know, just just restructuring it so that the like cis cis white story isn't centered in everything, you know, especially as it pertains to the South and in this music, and I think, I think that's work that I'm trying trying to
0: be intentional about at this at this point well i i really appreciate it um i appreciate your voice and your album and your narrative uh it, it really needs to be in country music and thank you for being brave enough to share it even though you were afraid to
1: oh i'm probably not brave i'm probably just
0: dumb <laughs> i'm cutting that you, out damn it, it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, um, don't, do not say that. No, that's not true at all. I think that this, this album is great. I'm so glad that Zach shared it and uh, that I listened. Um, it's, it's really good stuff. And kudos to you for doing the whole thing on your own.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for, uh, I, I, I've i been really on the fence over whether or not I'm going to go somewhere else or, um or do the next one myself because I want to start working on it. And so this is a, uh, this makes me feel more capable to just take it on. So
0: well, Adeem, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, I really appreciate it. The new album, Cast Iron Pansexual, is out now, available on all streaming platforms. So make sure you check it out. Um, and what is your website? It's adeemtheartist.com. So check out adeemtheartist.com. And he, uh, they are also on Twitter at adeemtheartist. The one. <laughs> But thanks so much for coming I really appreciate it Absolutely Thank you Will I appreciate you Well that's it for this episode Of Americana Station Podcast Thanks so much for tuning in Uh, Thanks for supporting Make sure you check out Adim's new record Cast Iron Pansexual Next up on the podcast We will have Shea Martin Lovett And uh, we'll talk about His new record Uh, We also have Tall Paul and Corby Lanker coming up and some more to announce soon. Make sure you rate and review the podcast. Uh, Every star review, every uh, typed out review helps greatly in uh, getting the numbers up, getting it uh, more seen. So I appreciate that. Share it with your friends, share it with your family. Uh, Tell everyone you know about Americana Station podcast. Uh, Working on some video content soon, so we'll get some of that stuff out here uh, in the next weeks to come. Uh, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks with uh, Shea Martin Lovett. I'm Will Payne Harrison. Thanks for listening.